Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to the Badge Boys, the show where two retired cops talk to the committee. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And I'm really excited about this week. Our guest, we both know him. Uh, How long have you known our guest, oh, Jason? Uh, a long time. A long time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah um, I first met him when I had just wrote the book. I wanted to promote it. So I went to the Arizona Homicide Investigators Association. He walks up. Now, this guy's the president. Keep in mind, he's the president. Nice. Yeah. Uh, 16 years in homicide with mm-hmm. the Tucson Police Department. Uh, 30, oh, three decades of law enforcement, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he was a... I want to say a sergeant major in the Air Force, which when you get to that rank, it becomes real service, by the way. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. a pretty big, Thank you for acknowledging <laughs> that. That, that is a very, <laughs> very big deal. Damn it. <laughs> Go uh, Air Force. A great guy. Yeah, he walks over and he immediately grabs one of my books. And he's just so personable. Such a nice guy that we've stayed in contact ever since. Uh-huh. Uh, that had to be 2014. Who I'm talking about is William, but he's built us uh, Hanson, retired homicide detective, United States. Air Force, like I said, a master sergeant. I was right, E7, uh, when he retired. Uh, he has a podcast called Badges and Bars. Uh, he has so many accolades, but I'm just going to put out 2008 Officer of the Year. This guy, if you had a case, sadly, and you were a family member, um, was a victim of homicide, he's who you would want to work in that case. We've seen him on 48 Hours and all sorts of shows out there, and we'll talk to him about that. But without further ado, uh, Bill... Welcome to Badge Voice, my friend. Thank you for having me. Uh, and he has a voice for that podcast, clearly. A hundred percent. Yeah. He's also our biggest cheerleader on LinkedIn. I, Thank you. I, I mean, You're without right. a doubt. Yeah. I, no offense, Brandon Griffith. You do a good job. <laughs> and I know Brandon's listening right now. He's probably laughing. But what, will you, Alan Bill Pinter, gets it. We have some good Bill, we have, we Bill have some gets, faithful fans out Bill there. Bill gets... He 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 gets he the us. He does. for our, our biggest fan club on LinkedIn, and I appreciate that. Yeah, no, and he's listening to the show, so he yeah. knows where we're going with yeah, this. Yeah, he actually <laughs> is saying it for a real reason. Yeah. Um, the first question always goes to Jason. Yeah, taking you back many years. Yes, sir. Like to hear why you ever put your name on the application. You know, back when I was five years old in Chicago um, as a kid, I told my dad, who was a fireman in Chicago, that I wanted a Dick Tracy, uh, like the snub nose gun, yeah, little yeah, cap, yeah, cap yeah. guns. And he said, what, the, what do you want that for? And I said, well, you know, I want to be a cop. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, back then it was, I want to be an astronaut, cop, fireman, you know, yeah. whatever else pops up, pilot. And uh, I, I kind of stuck with that. And uh, I always wanted to do it. And... Went to uh, went to college and started doing all my uh, things for that, and finally got a chance to. Uh, uh, I actually tested with a, a local department here, and I got some of the best advice there. Um, this is back in '79. I won't tell you which department it is, but I was testing, and we were going in for the oral boards. And back then, uh, the hiring wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, equal. I guess you could say. But uh, the lieutenant, we, we walked in there. I went to my overboard, and they said I did okay. And the lieutenant walked me out in the room, and he goes, hey. He goes, uh, you know, I want to see you in this department, but I, I can't hire you right now. He said, I can't go into specifics. And I said, okay. He goes, go in the military, get a career started, and come back because I want to hire you. But right now it's just a, a problem. So I said, okay, I went in the military. Uh, did that for 10 years active duty in the Air Force and came back. And when I did, we actually had uh, uh, the veteran points towards uh, testing. So I tested with a couple different departments, and uh, I tested. I actually put my paperwork in with Phoenix. And when I got to my mom's place, it was like a day before the testing. And I got there out of California because I went uh, Palace Chase in the Air Force, which is in a reserve slot. So when I got there to my mom's, I said, you know, I haven't heard from Phoenix yet. Oh, you got some in the mail. I said, oh, okay. And I was going in the next morning. I mean, this is five in the afternoon. 
she gives me this package that has all these different questions and things. And I'm like, background, everything. Yeah. I said, oh, my God, Mom. Do you ever think the sentence I want to be in California? <laughs> like eight hours no. going out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then, you know, the different things you have to do. So I walked into the testing and I wasn't ready. I still got a good enough score, but not not as high as I wanted to, and they didn't call me back for the orals. But um after that it was like, okay, I, I've got to be ready for these things. And uh so I tested with Tucson and luckily got on. I started with Mojave County. Our loss. So Our loss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I started with Mojave County as a deputy uh, previous to that, but uh, finally got down to Tucson and had a couple of kids from a prior marriage that I wanted to be able to be around, and that's where I that's where I ended up. Outstanding. You know, Jason and I are both military, and yeah. I think it definitely helped me. In fact, me and Jason joked about the academy was nothing, having gone from military. It, oh, for yeah. me, it was really nothing. Um, yeah. What was it like for you to academy? But then if you could go into that first year of police work, was it everything you had thought it would be? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the academy was all, you know, pick them up, put them down, yell, scream, we'll kill you, you know, that type of thing, uh, down at Capolita, down in uh, southern Arizona. And, uh, you know, we always heard the old adage, hey, they can't eat you, you know, but they're going to be like this. Um, so I I was ready for that. But, I mean, it wasn't it, it wasn't that tough of a thing. The academics were okay. The, uh, I mean, I was in my 30s. So the, the physical fitness was a little bit different for me, but I mean, I got through it without a problem. And uh, first year on the job was a lot of fun. FTO really sucked, <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially when you learn their, you know, the writing preference they have for all these things. And when you're older than your FTO, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, but I'm writing a book on this stuff, and he's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? You know, you're not writing this right. I'm like. Well, that's the way we were taught to write, you know, uh-huh. the, the uh, you know, you put in your information, your narrative, and then your conclusion. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 but we need to do it this way. So it was, it took a, it took a while to get that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I enjoyed it. Then uh, fast forward to when you're in homicide, you actually do have to write a book. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. At every single minute of every, every detail of every minute. Absolutely. And sometimes cases, you know, you, the first part of the scene is 16 hours long. Yes. That first report is like, I don't have to do anything else. I'm being here for two days writing this. <laughs> right. So it's fun. Right. So, we, so talk about your your uh, homicide experience. Uh, was that something that you wanted to always aspire to, or was that kind of like where your your career kind of took you down that path? Yeah, I always wanted to be a homicide detective. Uh, that was one of my goals, I guess you could say, along with arson, because my dad being the firefighter, I kind of grew up with that. You know, so that was in the back of my mind. Um, I had a, uh, a brother who was murdered in, in an East Coast city, and uh, they said it was a suicide, which I, I think I've talked to you about that before. Yeah. And that kind of steered me to go, yeah, I'm going to make sure these cases wow, are done, done right. right. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Um, we always have that one case. Uh, Jason and I both have done a show on that one case, so, uh, separately, individually. Uh, was there that one case again? Sixteen years—a long time for any unit, let alone homicide. So there's probably a lot of those one cases. But is there one that kind of jumps out? Uh, and then, if you could kind of segue into your time with uh, Forty Eight Hours and some of these other shows that you've been on. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the cases that uh, I wanted to talk about was the Apollo Ortega case. Uh, he was a, a serial murderer in the making down in Tucson. Um, and he was also a satanic follower. So that was one that was uh, important to me. The officer involves uh, murders. I worked two of those. One was my own case, one I helped on. Uh, those are always rough. And I also did honor guard for close to 19 years. So I was always at the, the funerals and all these different events. Uh, so those, those always struck home, too. Um, as far as uh, kid cases, those always. Yeah. Hit, hit in the hit in the heart zone. Uh, my first fatality, as I was a deputy, was in Mojave County, and I ended up pulling a 12-year-old out of a Palo Verde tree because her mom and dad wrecked her truck. She was riding in the back. It was oh. her it was her birthday. Oh, jeez. They're doing 110 in Oatman down uh, off of Route 66. Yeah. And they're they're both loaded, and the little girls in the back with an older gentleman, and they rolled a truck repeatedly. 
and I've got a car screaming down to me at about 110 miles an hour, and I have my, my KR-12 radar, and I'm like, Whoa, wow. nice. You know, I'm going to give this person a, a, a couple one, of one, one-way ticket to jail because yeah. it was felony speed. But uh, they came down, they're screaming, there's an accident, there's an accident. Wow. So I followed them down there and got a hold of DPS and let them know that we had a uh, vehicle that was uh, on its roof. So uh, when I went out there, I find the gentleman that was in, riding in the back of the truck with her, and I could see his legs underneath the truck. Oof. And mom and dad are walking around. They're fine. Wow. They're kind of spacey, but they're fine. Is that the way? Drunks? Oh, yeah. And I said, was there anybody else in the truck? And they're like, yeah, our daughter. And it's like, how old's your daughter? And they said, 12. And I'm walking around, and I finally spot her in the Palo Verde tree about six feet up in the air. So Impaled? My, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, and my daughter at the time, my oldest daughter is 12. So, I mean, I'm pulling her out of the tree and just, you know, the emotion is going through you. Yeah. And I wanted to go over there and shoot mom and dad, right. number one. But, uh, you know, I had to kind of reserve my reserve. As my, we do uh, many times. <laughs> <laughs> my anger. But um, in those type of cases, those those certainly hit the heart strike. Yeah, they stay with you, no yeah. doubt about it. Um you know, it's funny because how many times do I talk to do our guest, Jason, about writing a book? And usually at least I wait till the end of the show, but I'm going to shoot right at you on this one. Uh, you have a treasure trove of stories. Um, I found that when I wrote my book, and mine is silly, one-off, nothing stories, um, it was so cathartic. Mm. Um, have, have you journaled? Have you thought about writing a book? Yeah, I've got about 208 pages Knew uh, it. On, a, uh, on a book that I've Put together and i've been writing it since oh gosh i don't know the early 2000s and i just have to put a finished product on it uh, i just got done with my last homicide case yesterday that's seven years almost seven years since i've been retired on a 2012 case wow and i wanted to get that one done so i could kind of clear my head a little bit and kind of go into these things but uh yeah it's it's you're right it is cathartic to uh, to do that I've also got a children's book too. I, I'm still waiting on my uh, my artist to do a lot of those. Illustration things. is everything. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. That's going to be a children's charity book. But uh, so yeah, I've I've put something together. I just have to put it in print, just like you did. But you've got three now, right? I, I do. Yeah. Again, they're silly. They're nothing silly. They, nothing. So the, his books are outstanding, <laughs> and they get high praise. Oh, sure. They get very, very high. I told you my mom couldn't put them down. <laughs> I have and, one fan. And she had to autograph, <laughs> he had to autograph all three. No, they're fantastic books. But yeah. it's because they're funny. Yeah. It helps. But and, levity. We've all had those calls and cases. You know, it's perfect segue, yeah. Jason, because I was just going to say, with such sadness, there's also the levity, the comedy. And, sure. and is there that one case you worked that is like, how can this be real? I mean, we, we do stupid suspects. We're going to have a, a stupid suspect story uh, in our last segment. Uh, is there one case that jumps out like they did what? Whether it be a suicide, you know, or anything that kind of comes to mind. I'm going to keep rambling so it'll give you time to think. Right. But, uh, well, I only did I only did three years in homicide. And the one thing, well, I was with some of the best of the best. You know, Jack Valentine, Alex Firmenia, Mike Meisler, guys like this. If you didn't laugh. You're in a world of hurt. You did right. it for 16 years. So I know that your sense of humor is probably pretty and, morbid and, and you're retired. but it's you're awesome. Retired. You're retired. <laughs> you, have to have, you, you have to have it. Yeah. You just do. Yeah. I, I started carrying my cases, uh, my homicide cases, in 2000, and I went all the way to 2016. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, there's, there's a bunch of stories that pop up. I've got a suspicious death class that I teach. And one of those is a, I, I'd almost have to have you guys in on the class to show you where this cell phone was at that, oh. Oh, that okay. ended up killing this person. And uh, Not a good place to put something? No. <laughs> um, and it was one of those, uh, one of those, <laughs> what the hell moments. What are you thinking? <laughs> because we're, we're down at OME and... When we're at the scene, oh, examiners. Yeah, the doc gets a what looked like a bite plate out of this guy's mouth, and I thought, "Well, he's epileptic," and he's like, no, "It says Motorola," and we're like, "What in the world was he doing?" Well, he had jammed it down his throat, and by the time we got into the medical examiner's office, he's up on the uh, screen for the X-rays or radiology, 
he's got this cell phone down his throat. And it's like, well, what in God's name is that? And he goes, it's it's the other part of that Motorola. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the Razor phones. Oh, gotcha. But um, you gotta love the metal consumers. Be like, it's a cell phone. What do you think it is? Yeah. <laughs> they're so sad. like they've seen it all, right? Nothing's yeah. funny. Yeah. But that's yeah. a cell phone. That's where, that's where it belongs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, it was it was crazy. If you had any advice for a brand new homicide detective, like I went to homicide literally for a short period, I wanted to, I could not get to sex crimes fast enough, even oh. child crimes fast. Can enough. you even I, understand that I, statement? I, I, no, I, no. I, I was like, I'm done. I am done. And then I did go back as a sergeant, but now I'm supervising, and it was night detective. So, right. so you just I went was, and got food. I, I, it was. But you went and got the squad food. That was your job. Actually, you know what's funny? We had three detectives, so I took a fourth of the cases. I, yeah, oh, because we, all right. we, we're, we're undermanned. And suicides, four suicides a night. And that was oh, just yeah. the suicides. And you oh, got yeah. the on duty. Again, we were like the B team uh, of homicide. You know, we take <laughs> what you guys didn't have time to do. Right, um, right. You what, got the ground balls. Thank you. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, silver plate. Yes. Right on the silver plate. Um, what advice would you give? a new detective that is either thinking about going to homicide or is in a homicide and was like me, like, nah, I'm, this isn't for me. Well, you know, that's good advice on its own. Mm-hmm. If you walk in there and you think, I can't do this, you probably shouldn't be in that job. Uh, I, I was a detective trainer uh, my whole career, and I was also, well, as a detective, and I was also the trainer for homicide for anybody new coming in. I'd, I'd work them through that. Um, but... Uh, you know, the, the biggest thing about it, you've got to be a go-getter. You can't cut corners. If that's the way you want to be, find the door. You know, you need to go do yeah. something else. Um, but, uh, you know, with these trainees, um, probably the best advice I could give you is you, you have to make sure it's a fit. If it isn't, then you've got a problem. Um, and you you learn early on, especially when somebody comes into that unit. Uh, you know, we have people come into homicide and they couldn't, couldn't cut it or didn't have a a chance to stay in there because of different family issues or whatever it may be. But, uh, you know, they were, they were smart enough to say, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of mine. It was a, a situation where, I number one, the squad wasn't the best squad. There were some, you know, um, personality <laughs> issues with the squad, quite frankly. It's like, and I would left a beautiful scenario where everyone was working together in harmony, you know. So when there's that, not that cohesion, it, it, it makes you think twice. But the second thing is, I, I looked at as I loved helping people in rapes. I loved helping people in child crimes. I could truly help them with my investigations, empowering them. They were no longer victims. I could literally help them to take it on to become a survivor. They're not survivors automatically. You know, we have to do our job. And then, of course, the advocacy center needs to do theirs. And sure. everyone needs to, you know, with a multidisciplinary approach, help this victim be a, a survivor. And homicide, they're victims. They're dead. Um, those, and as it was when I went back as a sergeant, and I was doing the notifications. We've talked so much about that, no, Jason. We're sharp in the department. It's the hardest thing in the world. Uh, um, what was what was that like for you going in? Now again, you have you know some seniority in terms of not just time in, in grade, but also as personal experiences having been in a, in the service. Uh, what was that like for you? Those notification. The notifications were, I, I mean, I was at the other side of the table, too, when I was in the military, and I heard my brother was murdered. Right. Um, so I walked into it knowing that. Um, but the notifications, they never really got easier. Uh, they always they always seemed to get harder, of course. But, I mean, you know, we'd walk in there and notify somebody that their loved one's dead, and we'd have no reaction, or we'd have somebody that was uh, would faint, or we'd have somebody that, you know, would turn ballistic in a minute sure. which is understandable absolutely never knew how what no. kind of reaction you were going to get right that, you never knew you're right. destroying somebody's day you're blowing up their world yeah for forever yeah. it's yeah. it's not a power you want to have exactly that we, knock on the door is when you're the one doing the knocking right that's not a power you want right we had a gentleman that was electrocuted down in tucson and uh you know at first his hands are behind him and we thought he was bound and his car was there a car door was left open and he's at a grave site, and we had some guys that were mowing the lawn out there, and it looked like his stuff was kind of tore up. And we're thinking, oh, boy, you know, this might be somebody that was abducted, and, you know, they offed him and threw him over here, yeah. So we started looking at him. We got the uh, doc out there, 
And the doc is like, well, you see the chain around his neck, it's soldered. And it's like, huh. And she said, you could see there's a fern mark on his, on his body. It almost looks like a leaf. He gets struck by lightning. And she looked at his shoes, and there's a pinpoint at the bottom of his shoes where mm-hmm. it went right through him and killed him. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, the reason his hands are behind his back, he had a prayer book in his hands, and he just fell over backwards and died just like that. Wow. Um, but that was one of the worst notifications because he was at his son's gravesite. And this is like a, a 20-year-old son that died of AIDS. And we went and we notified the mom or the, uh, the wife, and she said, uh, <clears throat> Well, no, 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 you're talking about my son. My son, he, he's out there. He's the one that died of AIDS. We said, no, ma'am, no, it's, it's, not your, it's not him. She's like, oh, you're talking about my other son. He died oh, from an auto accident. Heart. And we're like, no, oh, oh, no ma'am. Yeah, can heart. I just stop talking now and yeah. go home, please? Oh, this yeah. is the worst. I said, no, not him either, ma'am. It's, it's actually your husband. He was out there at your son's gravesite. Looks like he got struck by lightning. She started screaming. And all the grandkids in the house are, are freaking out, too, their little ones. And she started screaming. Her son comes running in, sees us, thinks, oh, they're trying to take my mom into <laughs> custody. That's a problem. So he gets his friends on the phone, and the next thing we know, we've got like 30 people there at the house oh. that are all ready to kill us. <laughs> it's like, wait wow. a minute. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that was, that was one of there, the worst. Yeah. Notifications, <laughs> I, I don't think I have anything that compares that bad. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I was doing them every but, night. And to your point, Darren, like, I felt that way with suicides. I, 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 I would get very upset to this day. Like, I carry a lot of those, and I'm always hammering on my kids and other people. Like, you, you just have no right to do that to your family but as much as you wanted to help victims there's even though a murder victim is dead to speak for them and to bring closure to families there there really is nothing like it and that's what's great about law for i could have never worked sex crimes Mm. so when you say you couldn't wait to leave the homicide (laughs) offices to go to sex crimes i'm looking at you like you you need like help. That's there's no way. But I'm glad, you're right. You're right. Justice. I'm glad there. Are, and Robin will speak to it. Thank God for people like you. Right. I could not have done and, that. And job. that's the beauty of investigations. I mean, because we're all helping in different aspects. It takes different um, uh, expertise and skill sets. And if you, you do what you court. love, you'll be good at it. Absolutely. Do but I can't love. imagine 16 years in any. I did seven in sex crimes, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine. Uh, 16 in any one unit. Right. Um, now, now please. Just, just to clear that up, I was in ag assault in 2000, but I was carrying my own homicide cases. Gotcha. And helping homicide. And I carried that all the way through. I started the homicide unit in 05 and then went to 2016. So, I, I mean, I did have my own murder since for 16 years, but not, not in. Understood. But a lot of ag assaults it, turn into deaths yes. weeks later, right? Oh, yeah. That, or that, that, that's how. Yeah, kind of or, unfold. or the following day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, we had the phrase circling right. the drain. We had that phrase, right. and it's like, okay, right. we're going to take this one. This is going to be yeah. homicide, just not yet. Yeah, they get a headshot, they have a brain swell, yeah. they're uh, going to be going south. I hate to take it to a personal level, and please let me know if we shouldn't go there, but I can't help but think that your commitment and able to do these daunting investigations, and that's what they are. Uh, they're truly whodunits. They're, you, know, you don't have a Columbo that gets a, you know, an easy figure it out, and they show you who did it from the very beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. and you get to see how clever Columbo is doing it. You, you're going from nowhere and finding something. I can't help but think, and tell me if I'm wrong, that what you went through with your brother um, gave you that medal to carry on those investigations to the point where, uh, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, there's a there's an old adage um, that when you start law enforcement, you have a dull sword. And as you go over time, you sharpen that sword. And by the time you are tenured, you know, that's that's a sharp sword. And you could, you could battle anybody. And I think I had my dull sword back in the military and just started sharpening it because I knew I was going to get to that point. Uh, just took me a while, eight years in patrol and then <laughs> finally getting in. But homicide, it's not the same as it is these days. I mean, homicide back then, you had to have somebody retire or die before you could break the uh, break And you did area. your scenes, uh, too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is a lot of difference today from when we came in in the 80s. Sure. Or you in the 70s, not me in the 80s. Yeah. But you had to, uh, 
yeah, you had to had to break that mold and be able to get in there. And uh, I mean, I started in burglary, went to ag assault, and then finally kept on chiseling away until I could get in an homicide. But uh, I, and it was very rewarding back then. Nowadays, it's like, eh, yeah, I'm in homicide. I'm a Spanish speaker, so they put That's me right so in sad, there. I think. And it's like, well. Gee whiz. It's the greatest yeah. honor it is, yeah. in it should the be, world. It should be the best of the best, and it is the greatest honor. It no is the greatest honor in the world to be a homicide yeah. detective. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pinnacle. It it's is. the pinnacle, and, and I think everyone looks so. at it that way as well, as well as they should. Um, I can't help but uh, you know think about your family member. Was that in Chicago when that occurred? Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? East Coast. East Coast. Yeah. And it was one of those things where a blonde girl shot him on the Brooklyn Bridge. And she ran away with a gun, and we heard that, uh, no, it was a suicide. We're <laughs> like, <laughs> New York PD did not put much effort in. No. It was, I mean, was it, is yeah. that unfortunately what it boiled down to? Yeah. Yeah. That's the other dark side of it police is. work. We, and it is. We could talk openly about it. There are some officers and detectives. They just simply don't fucking do their job. Yeah. It, it happens. It, it does. It, it happens it, a lot, it, and it I've, pisses I've, me off. I've seen it, and we've had to fix things, and that's why I think you have to have a cold case. And and the one thing that BOM and some of the other anti-police organizations did, supposed watchdogs, they destroyed, defunded, and it hurt our cold case. How important, uh, in the minute we have left, how important is a cold case unit, in your opinion? Oh, I, I think they're an absolute for everyone. Yeah, everybody should have one, uh, and if not, start one. Uh, the things are getting better and easier sure. and more fun. I'd love to be a cold case detective right now. Yeah, I'd be a genealogy science, freak. science, I'd science. You saw <laughs> yeah, DNA baby. cases, right? Genealogy, it's amazing. It's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, some of the cases we had uh, with the border association. Uh, you know, we'd have a guy with a bullet in the head. They dump him out of the car, and that'd be our case. You've got a dead guy. Which is evidence and a bullet in the head. You don't have that circle of friends. You don't, yeah, <laughs> no. the identity who they are, yeah. what they are. Yeah. yeah. And some tire tracks that you really couldn't get. It's not like TV where you get these beautiful prints and all I know it's a Dunlap tire and with an address embedded in the tread. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was bought, bought in December of 1990 by this guy. Uh, but uh, yeah, cold cases, it's absolute. Everybody has to have a unit or, or should have a unit. Um, because it's something that uh, you know they can't they can't just let these cases go away. They need to work them until yeah. Until you, and, and you know, unfortunately, no matter what big city I you know I saw it working in Phoenix. Obviously, we had a lot of cases uh, mm -hmm. the year I was there, two thousand four to two thousand seven. And uh, right when you start to gain momentum, right. guess what happens? You catch another case, right? And then. As we all know, it's not just the saying. The first forty-eight hours are right. probably the most important. Sure. So now you got to divert your attention from here, and things do go cold for various reasons. Right. Uh, without the resources, so cold cases. Yeah. Looking back on it, even after all these years of retirement, if you gave me a job to do, hands down, I'd say I'm gonna be a cold case detective because it's it's got to be a lot of fun to yeah. close frame closure, uh, no statute limitations, and the families. We'll never forget, and they will deeply appreciate it. So, Absolutely. Bill, I can't thank you enough. Will you stick around sure. for a what I assure you is going to be a very heated cop talk segment <laughs> uh, if you want to participate. We would love it. So, sure. uh, awesome interview, Darren. You're always the best at uh, right getting our guests you, on. So, we'll be right back with Cop Talk. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books, starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's Twisted But True books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. 
Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Uh, that was a great interview with uh, Bill Hansen. Again, I can't wait for the book. Uh, I'm going to ask you, will you come back when you have that book? Because we want to promote that, and I definitely want to read it. Sure. Definitely. Sure. Um, this is our cop talk. Uh, you're retired, so you can, if you want, you can be completely open. You know, you still have connections with departments, and you still do training. So, sure. you know, you may not want to, but if you want to. That's <laughs> after hearing free. me. Um, I tell you, I, I sometimes I wish we don't go to commercial break, because what happens when the, the when the mic goes off is sometimes classic. I'll say we just had a great cop talk segment, and nobody heard it. Yeah, we did. We really did. did. Uh, again, typically, um, I never tell Jason the cop talk segments, but when Jason came in, he says, I want to talk about this damn <laughs> DA. And yeah, it's one, two, three. What I want to do a little bit differently is uh, I have three. I'm going to give you the three headlines, and then I'll go with you first, uh, Jason, and then with you, Bill. And you can talk about any of the three if you want. Uh, first is, again, to... Uh, to uh, uh, Jason's disdain, a Missouri AG, this is a good part, orders a woke St. Louis DA to resign. We're talking about Kimberly Gardner. Uh, or face being fired after she freed a serial offender. When I say serial offender, my God, it was like 50 to 100 cases. They're still racking them up. Um, and this guy struck a uh, volleyball player, 17-year-old girl with her whole career uh, ahead of her, uh, loving uh, a volleyball star, apparently, a standout, um, causing her to lose both her legs. That's and that's uh, headline number one. Headline number two, uh, a murder returns to the scene of the crime and kills mm. a reporter and then goes into home and shoots a mother and her nine-year-old daughter, killing the girl in an Orlando shooting spree. Horrific. And then there's a case, and I thought about this one. The only reason I bring this up is because, again, Bill's been on 40 Hours of many programs, so has Jason. Um, and... This is one case. I usually don't watch court TV or cases. I was glued to it. Prosecutor presses Alex Murdahl on fuzzy memory in the double murder trial. Specifically, I'm curious what one of you might think in terms of, I think he, I think he, I hate to say the word, pun intended, killed it on the stand as a uh, defendant. Usually they're desperate, so bad things happen, desperation, but he was a prosecutor. He knew how to play, and he played right into the prosecutor. Um, uh, uh, anyways, those are the three headlines. Jason, take your pick, my friend. Uh, well, I, I'm going to have to – I'll touch on two of them briefly, and one needs to be talked Sounds about a little bit longer. Line. I will say I agree with you. I watched a lot of Murdoch's testimony. Possibly the best witness or defendant testimony I've ever seen. The guy, do I think he killed his of wife and son? Y yes, it's a duh. yes, OJ, you did it. <laughs> he had me but, at GSR. <laughs> yeah. But he, I mean, he, and he helped himself by, you know, admitting some things that is going to cause the prosecution to have an issue convincing the jury to unanimously agree on this, you know, capital murder charge because he just, he did a great job, which it sucks. It does. But uh, most defendants, it's like, dude, you ain't testifying. This guy, uh, he yeah. he did good. Um, yeah. The the thing in Florida, yeah, I, I killed a reporter, killed a kid. Did you see the arrest video, though? Yes. Darren? So Yes, I did. Here's Thank what, you. Here's what really drives me crazy Ugh. about the, our social social you, justice warriors and and all these freaking idiots that have America upside down right now. Keyboard this warriors. guy, this guy murdered several people, including a nine year old girl. 
when he gets arrested, he doesn't just give up. They have to struggle, get him to the ground. And what does he start screaming? I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And so all of the people out there who love no, victims and, or I'm sorry, hate victims and love criminals, it's like, well, why, why, why are you being so mean to him? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We should have executed him right there on the street, but hopefully he'll go to jail forever. This St. Louis case, yeah, I got to tell you, I can't remember the last time something upset me as much as this because we're seeing it every day, unfortunately. But when you talk about a 16-year-old girl who traveled with her family from out of state to play in this volleyball tournament, they're walking down the street in the early evening hours. You have a repeat offender who... Uh, and. Kim Gardner is known as one of the most uncaring, George Soros-loving DAs in the country. If DA she stood for a defense attorney, she'd nail it. She doesn't give a fuck <laughs> what crime you commit. You deserve to be treated good, not fairly, good and go home. You have a young girl whose legs were amputated. She's still in critical condition. And... Her father had to witness this. He's uh, never going to get over that. Thankfully, his ar he his army her. training yeah. saved her Go life with the blood loss. Bless his heart. But immediately, Kim's like, this is not a time to point fingers. This is not a time. You, You're right. The, it was two years ago. The reason I am so upset about this, and yes, you had the guy driving the car that, that hit her. But everything he's done in the past was an opportunity to prevent something else until I'm glad to know that uh, DA Gardner is probably going to get fired. And, but when I think of her, when I think of Alvin Bragg in New York, when I think of, I, I can't remember that stupid bitch's name in San Diego who keeps prosecuting cops for no reason. And, Oh, she's just disgusting until these people start to be held accountable for the blood that is truly on their hands. And you don't hear anything on the news about this 16-year-old girl anymore. Now it's just, oh, DA Kim Gardner, it's racism. They're going to run her. It has nothing to do with it. This is an evil human being put in a position of prominence who raised her right hand, took an oath, and absolutely fucking lied and now there are a ton of victims and she, and her the biggest price she's going to pay is just going to get a more high higher paying job because da's don't make as much as in the private sector right that's all she's going to do is fall forward from making probably two hundred thousand a year to making a million dollars a year and i'm just so frustrated and disgusted and more importantly this young girl's family their lives are forever changed, and we need to think and talk about them and erase people like Kim Gardner. And when I say erase, I mean they got to be gone forever. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't so. agree stronger. And I think it all. The head is Soros. Money to embolden crime, and I don't understand it. I don't uh, think any of us understand no, what his motivation no. is, and it's going to get. He's about to die. He's ninety-two, I think. And they say his son is worse. And his oh. son's going to inherit all the money. I, I, don't have, I don't know how anything can be worse. I really don't. We talked about... Well, they're not even Mike American. Mike. That's what's killer. Yeah, we joked about, um, you know, Lightfoot is no longer going to be a mayor, yay. Uh, yeah. and, but then we say, well, who's going to replace her? And it's like, it can't be worse. Sometimes it is. I, so I give it to you, Bill. Uh, you know, you can um, you know, elaborate on, on the AG, the DAs. You can talk about the Orlando shooting with the nine-year-old little girl or the murder trial. Um, you know, based on what you saw. Yeah. Uh, the murder trial, you know, a lot of times, I, I know the uh, defense attorneys don't want to put their client on the stand. A lot of times that helps because the jury goes, huh, well, we we understand a little bit more because he's giving this story up. And that's the way it was in this one. I mean, yeah. he, he spun a yarn yeah, he did. that was outstanding in my and opinion. That's not crying didn't hurt. Really right, right, yeah. Um, the uh, the Orlando incident, you know, you <clears throat> we've had it before. We had a, a crime scene where we had a guy murdered, but he was murdered in a car. 
And that led us back to the house where he was at. And we locked that down. We uh, had patrol out there. They were doing a, a good, uh, you know, static area out there as far as not letting anybody back in. Then we had a neighbor tell us, hey, we saw a guy jump the fence. And it's like, wait, where'd the cop go that was out here in the alley? We had to go to the bathroom. Didn't get any coverage for it. The bad guy comes back in the house. So we're drawn down the hallway trying to get him to come out. Luckily, we had everybody out of the house. And he finally gave himself up inside. He didn't have any weapon or anything like that. But these things happen, unfortunately. And for him to be able to come back into that scene, Jesus Christ. You know, it's it's heartbreaking, especially with with what happened. Uh, And I don't want to second-guess any patrol units or anybody that's out there. Uh, but it's it's just something that has to be kind of a learning process where everybody goes, okay, uh, you know, we'd like to always say our department wouldn't let that happen. Uh, mine did. It happens. Yeah. Sure. Debrief, debrief, debrief. Sure. And, uh, you know, that's that's heartbreaking to have that, uh, have that little one killed there. Um, but, uh, yeah, Lori Lightfoot, my, my hometown of Chicago, so I appreciate seeing that person out of there. Ain't the city you grew up in. Yeah. Oh, no. No, God, no. Um, you know, I left in the 70s, and <laughs> it certainly took a uh, a, a third-world country. Yeah, I, I look at it as an insidious, strategic, almost surgical strike into empowering criminals because mm-hmm. they did it not by going into the laws and, and you know taking time to destroy laws. They went right to the head of the beast where they would literally have control over policy. And we can say, you know, this is against law, this is against law, but we saw it all over the place. You know, these DAs, these politically minded, agenda-driven DAs literally disregard the law. Right. And you see that in L.A., you see it in Baltimore, you see it in Chicago. And, you know, Jason was talking about the fact that they're for the criminals. Absolutely. Now, when you put it on the other foot and the officer is on the criminal side of it, oh, God, they need to be prosecuted. Yeah. Even you know, when there's no evidence. Yeah, yeah, they're not uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty. They're guilty, period. Yeah. They don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's gotten asinine out there, and uh, we absolutely need to do a better job at uh, you know, voting for these people and who they're putting in these uh, you know, That's the key, holding situations. people accountable. Yeah. Sadly, four years later, two years later, but I think you're right. That's key. Wonderful cop talk. Thank you, Bill. Sure. Uh, we'll be right back with stupid stories, a heroic headline, and Jason's always inspirational closing message. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. During these challenging days, we not only need to remember our many fallen heroes for their ultimate sacrifice, but also honor them so their families know we've not forgotten. And that's what the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders Organization is all about. Each year, the nonprofit organizes three memorial rides among the beautiful backdrop of North, South, and Central Arizona, with the proceeds going to the 100 Club of Arizona. Learn more about these fun rides and how you can honor all of Arizona's fallen heroes at Arizona Fallen Heroes Memorial You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. That was great. Uh, it's kind of cool. That was, um, there's so many shows that Jason and I have here at Batch Boys for, oh my gosh, four years now, 217 shows. Um, very some do we both know the person real well, and, and we both knew Bill. And so, uh, great guy, uh, incredible investigator, uh, truly a hero. 16 years in homicide, um, just amazing, amazing individual, and still helping the community. Uh, he's my hero. And speaking of heroes, uh, we have Jason with a heroic headline. Yeah, this uh, this week uh, comes because of recently released body cam footage. And uh, the actual incident, though, took place back in 2021. But this is uh, this is tragic. But I just love the heroic aspect from a civilian bystander. It's it's beautiful. Convicted killer named Dylan Molina tried to flee on foot following the November 27th, 2021 crash that killed Euless police detective Alex Cervantes while he was in a car with his family. But a good Samaritan identified as Justin Gonzalez 
quickly pursued Melina and yelled, hey, get your fuck ass over here, motherfucker, <laughs> which was revealed for the first time in a newly released police video. Listen, when you're in the midst of one of these situations, it's more than okay to talk like that. That I love that hero. That, that's, yeah, real. That's, that's, that's real. That's real. That's real. Difference. Uh, the suspect, Molina, soon tripped over his own feet, and Gonzalez was able to get on top of him, pin him down, and wait for authorities to arrive. Then he said, again, this is on, this is on video, quote, you fucking killed somebody, you motherfucker. That, I'm thinking he that, speaks uh, to you. He I'm speaks thinking to that you. every day when I'm, when I'm hearing about all the people that are dying. Gonzalez uh, angrily shouted, you killed somebody, you stay right there. Gonzalez said that he was coming home from a Thanksgiving gathering when he saw the horrific crash. I can't even imagine witnessing that. I don't know why it had to happen the way it did, but I knew he wasn't going anywhere. I couldn't let him go. The slain detective was with his wife and two kids who were all severely injured from the crash after Molina ran a red light after leaving a local bar. He pled guilty last month to intoxication, manslaughter, three counts of intoxication assault, and was sentenced to, wow, 15 whole years. Way to go, judge. You can fuck off, too. Police this month fill, I'm sorry. Police this month filed charges against another person, the woman who served Molina at the bar before he left. Love it. And drove off. Bartender Kayla Richardson is accused of overserving Molina before he left the bar. The 26-year-old woman knew the customer was drunk. According to police, kept serving him regardless. And that is a crime. Absolutely. And she should be charged yeah. uh, both criminally and civilly, uh, as the well as the death. bar. The and the Because uh, Detective Cervantes was off duty at the time. Yeah. He was just on a day off with his family. Yeah. So, uh, but I love, I love, <laughs> I love that Gonzalez was just so fired up and didn't just whip out his phone. Didn't just video. It didn't just took action. And the guy was running away. Didn't just pull over and be like, well, I'll be, I saw it happen. So I'll be a witness. And, and I would respect that. He took off and he was clearly, Put in harm's way. clearly agitated by what he saw. And that's, that should be the visceral reaction we all have. That I mean, that, I, he's representative of. I think you how you should. Part. That's how you should respond when you see harm done to somebody, especially of that do. magnitude. I think, so I think most people do feel that way. With that, please give me the giggles for the week. Yeah, I say it each week. You uh, bring us to the heart of heroism, and I bring us to the balance of humanity with our stupid suspects. Yeah, the uh, first uh, stupid suspect story is in honor of a certain lightweight, uh, or aka <laughs> lightweight, who is no longer the Chicago. Well, I guess technically she technically she is still the mayor of Chicago, but not, not for long. For long. Uh, armed robber stayed at crime scene to eat. Finger-licking good chicken. That's right. In Chicago, a Chicago man is facing a bucket load of felony charges after robbing a man <laughs> at gunpoint and then staying at the scene to eat the victim's takeout fried chicken. Yeah, he carjacked. Can't let it go to waste. Uh, you know, you're carjacking. You can drive and eat. Come on. Uh, Chicago police arrived at the robbery scene within minutes and found James Taylor, 20, still there eating the victim's Apparently delicious fried chicken. The 35-year-old victim had parked in front of his home about 1.30 in the morning, uh, getting off work, having gone to the uh, um, chicken place, and with his piping hot food, walked out to go into his house when he was interrupted uh, by Taylor, who asked him for a light. Uh, the victim said, I don't have one. At that point, uh, Taylor then pointed his gun, uh, demanded his keys, carjacking him, cash, debit card, but he forgot to take the phone. That's right. So when he climbed into the victim's car, the victim immediately called 911, but instead of driving off, he just stuck around eating the chicken in front of the victim's house. 
Yeah, it must have been really I good chicken. I that dude was hungry. <laughs> hangry. Hangry. Truly hangry. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't even need to go anywhere. I got you my sure food sure he carjacked the car? Maybe it was he's hijacking the chicken. Oh, he, well, he took the keys, and he, he, had, he <laughs> the engine was running. It just smelled so damn good. Uh, he's charged <laughs> with armed so robbery good. with a firearm, aggravated assault, use, uh, use of a weapon, aggravated possession of a stolen motor vehicle, i.e. stealing it, and illegal possession of a debit card, and, of course, fing, felony finger-licking, stupid. Uh, the <laughs> Chicago judge uh, ordered a $15,000 bail, uh, which means, again, this is Chicago. Well, so, armed robbery, and you only had to pay $1,500 to just go home so you could do it again. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, well, Judge. Well, thank God. Thanks, he'll, Judge. At least he'll have an ankle monitoring device, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah. in Illinois, you can't. You, you, you're free to go for 48 hours. Before that's right. Food. That's I, right. That's dude, right. <laughs> Chicago and Illinois are seriously. Uh, they're in, Yeah. Well, maybe hopefully things will change. I don't know. Uh, and then we go into Memphis for our second one. Man charged with eating two bags of stolen chips. It's kind of unusual. A man was t- uh, taken into custody after Memphis police arrested him for eating two bags of potato chips that someone else had stolen from a convenience store. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the, the actual thief came into a convenience store, wanted to buy some beer. The clerk said no. He got pissed. He grabbed this huge display of potato chips, you know, the racks yeah. and displays. As he's running out to his car with it, two fall off. So the bad guy, the real bad guy, gets away with it, drives away. The clerk runs after him, and th- there's a gentleman sitting on the sidewalk. He bends over, picks up the bag. She thinks he's going to give it to her. He opens it up and starts eating it. <laughs> so she ca- she's what's call- the crime? Well, she's calling police. They come to you know hopefully find the property. bad guy with the display case of potato chips, and they have him seeing all this going on eating the two bags, waiting for the police as a witness, and they arrested him for eating the bags of chips. So this is stupid suspect. I mean, you should have just handed him over. Uh, or she should have said, you know, hey, but you know what? Apparently he does this all the time, steals stuff, and no one gets in trouble. So she thought, I'm tired. And she Dude, that said, is so... it's, it's, hey, it's... when you witness something and you get that little bit of adrenaline, it makes you hungry. Like he <laughs> might have just been fidget. Like I got to eat something. Here it is. And you know, if he, he had steal ate- it, for energy to run after the suspect, maybe I'd get, maybe I'd go there. Yeah. I don't know. Then I don't you know. Get a bag of chips. That's right. You now, get a free bag of chips. Yeah. If he asked the clerk permission, that might have been different. Uh, oh, it would have been one hundred percent different. Yeah. Can I eat a bag? Yeah. The whole thing is really stupid. Speaking Funny. of stupid, um, yeah, we have stupid Florida. Everyone from Florida is stupid. Everyone from Florida is dumb. I might not be the brightest guy, but next to them, my IQ's high. Yeah, we have two more stupid suspects in Florida. In Flagler County, how come there's always like a new city, a new county I've never heard of in Florida? I've never heard of Flagler. I love Flagler. you, Florida. Uh, I know you do. And, and I, I love, I, I don't know. I, I, just reading these, I, I don't know if I want to go to Florida anymore. I it's just a big don't. state. It is. You're right. You're right. And the good government, uh, they're yeah. doing good things. You're yeah. right. You're right. Two people were arrested after authorities in Florida said they stole a semi-tractor truck. Those big old um, uh, Peterbilt truck nice. uh they attempted to hide it by spray paint the flagler <laughs> the flagler police yeah i know the whole, a lot of the whole vision, paint, they had three cans um the flagler police investigators received an anonymous tip regarding two people a man and a woman uh i'm thinking of kind of like um oh gosh um bonnie and clyde thank you thank you uh bonnie and clyde stupid bonnie and clyde um they, <laughs> they knew this was the right tip because the uh the bonnie and clyde duo was painting it red and the actual truck was hot pink that's right they stole a hot pink semi-trailer now how many of those are out driving around not many not many, not many. no and they're no. in front of the days in <laughs> they're 39 a night days in yeah. with three cans of spray paint painting this pink hot pink semi-trailer that's right these stupid uh bonnie and clyde no doubt uh, we're in the process of concealing with the original color. Uh, deputies arrived. Both the man and the woman fled the scene, and a uh, foot pursuit ensued into the woods. There's always woods involved in these two stuff. Let's plug in. It's Florida. <laughs> Too bad an alligator wasn't. We need the Everglades, yeah. Uh, a different Gonzalez, uh, Catino Gonzalez, and Rainer Perez, uh, our stupid Floridian 
suspects were taken into custody and are expected to face multiple charges, including grand theft auto and criminal mischief. Uh, quote, thanks to another concerned citizen calling after see something, say something, our deputies were able to catch the two thieves and recover a stolen semi and return it to its rightful owner, said Flagler County Sheriff Rick Staley. Uh, quote, they also get selected as the Dumb Criminals of the Week Award. See, they actually do have a Dumb Criminal of the Week Award with that department, no doubt about it. Investigators said the truck was valued at $280,000, making a major felony. You think with that type of of money, they could have maybe invested maybe five cans of spray paint. I don't know. I don't know. Why would you steal a semi? <laughs> because you had, because you just stolen three it, cans of spray it was paint. Just there. Yeah, yeah, it I was got stuck. three cans of spray paint. What are we going to do with these, honey? Oh, I, I don't know. Let's, it's like stealing let's an, steal a hot when paint. When I hear someone stealing an ambulance or so, I mean, steal a car, fine. Don't steal a semi truck. Well, a semi you can sleep in the back of. That's. That's true. Oh yeah, they had maybe a home. They, they, maybe they were looking for home a on new wheels. Home. Well, yeah. it's, it's it was they, they had a mobile home. Now they have a new mobile home. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and exactly. that is our stupid suspect stories. Well, we definitely need uh, some beautiful stories in our lives, and so anything to do with uh, children always helps. Try to highlight those as often as we can. And I am very happy to say that this week's inspirational story comes out of Florida to make up for what you just got through (laughs) doing to Florida. This involves two-year-old Joshua J.J. Rowland. He was found alive after missing for 24 hours in Hernando County. The boy was found barefoot in the woods by a volunteer searcher named Roy Link. The 62-year-old volunteer came to an open field and he was met with a choice. Two wooded areas with a small clearing in between. Link, an ex-Marine and former supervisor of Hernando County Parks, said he decided on intuition alone that he would go to the woods on his left. He had barely stepped foot into the forest when he heard the first whimper and then another little louder. Link said the realization dawned on him, it's JJ. He called out his name and their whimpering got louder. And then Link saw him just 100 feet away. Toddler was standing in the woods, barefoot among the briars. The man was cautious but friendly. The boy had spent nearly 24 hours alone in the elements. He had scratches all over his arms and legs, but really looked like he was in good health. He did not like a two-year-old that's been out in the woods for however many hours. And Link said, hey, buddy. JJ just lit up. And Link said, you ready to get out of here? The boy threw up his arms and was like, yes, let's go. Uh, the boy was sturdy in Link's arms and felt as heavy as a bag of feed and kept calling for his mama, of course. Um, and Link said, we're going to your mama. Sheriff's officials said they believe J.J. left his home while his mom was asleep. Law enforcement from across the state, including the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Florida Department of Corrections, local police searched for the boy for about 24 hours, found nothing. And then you have this volunteer step up and do it. I love that. That long period, everybody starts thinking the worst, of course, and it's hard not to. It's like, how can all these people and all these deputies not find him? You know the bad stuff starts going through your mind, but then finding him healthy and alive, it's just wow. That was his quote. I love it. Link is a humble man. He's a bit overwhelmed by all the attention he's received since finding the boy. The man had planned on fishing that morning, but that changed when his wife told him that their Nano County Sheriff's Office was looking for volunteers to search for J.J. And Link said, how could you not volunteer for that? Anyone could have stumbled on J.J., he said, and the Sheriff's Office called Link the man of the year. So you have your stupid suspects of the week in Florida. Florida also is a man of Love the it. year award, Absolutely. and he's getting it. About 15 minutes before finding J.J., Link said he prayed to God that the boy would be found. Not necessarily by him, but just by someone. And, man, two years old, 24 I don't know if I could spend 24 hours in the woods, and I somewhat know what I'm doing in in the elements and, and, and at 50 years old. This kid's two years old. But maybe being that naive and... You don't know what you don't know is a good thing. You, you don't exactly. know. You don't know to not Thank, fight. 
but so many kids will just keep walking, walking, yeah. and get deeper, deeper in the That's woods. That's true. And, he and, he clearly stopped probably after getting some you know scratches on his arms. Like this hurts. I'm just gonna stop and. But he's still standing. 20 after 24 hours. hours later, he's still standing I, you up. No, you're not wrong. And all, all that matters is he made it home. Elements. I can't imagine what his mother uh, was going through so for those 24 hours because alligators. Every My minute God. that passes, right? Oh it, yeah, it starts to get a lot more scary. Water. Um, you need water. Yeah. <laughs> Every four you know, the greatest, especially yeah. a, a two-year-old oh so the greatest lesson we learn out of that story is how hu- how the human spirit is so resilient even at that age yeah yeah mm. yeah yeah yep and yeah i saw something recently robin written down and it's true there uh, there's no material in the history of the world that's man-made that will ever compare to the strength of the human spirit and that's Love very it. true Love it. please uh find it within you to let yours rise like a phoenix God bless. Be safe. We'll see you next week. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys. Heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys.